Hey, well, welcome to another episode of Digging Deeper. Robert here with Pete. I'm here. Dr. Goodman. I'm Man, here. Thank you so much for really uh, not only preaching, but I would say sharing. And I know that you think that word is hilarious sometimes, but sharing yesterday, you really opened up, I think, your life, your heart. You shared on the meltdown on Elijah. On Elijah. Elijah. Yes. So as you were studying for this message, um, I know that because, you know, we're friends and we were talking all week long that you were like kind of like battling with different directions and focal points. And, you know, it was something that you kind of wrestled through all week long. How did you land on the direction that you ended up going in? Well, I mean, I would say we've talked about this before that the way that we kind of put things together starts with Brandon. Uh, he usually yeah. um, has an idea for a series and will break it down into main ideas and then when he has he schedules us he gives us kind of the main idea and so i was given elijah meltdown from discouragement depression so like yeah. it, it wasn't like i just made it up i was sure i mean that was like almost you know almost like giving an assignment kind of you know write a paper about this kind of thing and so um yeah i was i i don't honestly know you know i retrospect i don't know if I would have pulled that out of the text if Brandon hadn't given it to me. Oh, really? <laughs> I don't know. I might have okay. gone, if he's just like, hey, preach on Elijah, I might have done something completely different. Okay. But because he said, like, I, this particular meltdown, I looked into it. I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. There it is. Good. So I would say it started with him just assigning it to me um, and kind of telling me what he was seeing in it. So, Well, and, and it seems like, Elijah, who experienced really high highs as far as miraculous moves of God in powerful ways, as well as really low lows, hiding in a cave, you know, and and questioning your life and things like mm -hmm. that. Being your friend, I know that you've and I've seen you experience those things too, right? Like, you know, maybe not as dramatic, but I've seen you experience really these miraculous moves of God and celebrate, like you know, the the power of the the Holy Spirit moving, and and then also really kind of battle with some of those low points and things like that too. Did you, as you were studying the text, did you find yourself in it? Hmm. Um. That's a that's a good question. <laughs> I, <laughs> I I think it's always hard for me to find myself in. Oh gosh, this is going to get meta here in a, in a hurry. Yeah, um, <laughs> I digging deeper, y'all. Well, you know, even part of where I went with the message was talking through just some of my own insecurities and things. So, if I'm just being honest, and some people are like, "Oh, you're, you know, you're humble," it's not humility; it's it's insecurity. Mm. It's hard for me to relate to biblical characters. I'm like, oh, I've never done anything like that. I'm not like that. Uh, that's usually my first fallback in my brain is the oh I, I could never do anything like that um so the high highs are hard for me to see myself in i i i, I tend not to see myself in high highs i okay. see myself in the lows very easily which is you know the whole context of what i shared it, it's easy for me to see myself in the lows in the failures in the, <laughs> that didn't work out uh the idea that somebody could pray and call fire from heaven is like I don't know. I can never do that. Um, so it's hard. For, I don't necessarily like put myself in Elijah's shoes. I also look at Elijah as his primary frustration was very external. Um, I made it internal, but his was external. Yeah. His prime, and we, it just uh, most people 
listen to Diving Deeper, haven't already listened to the message, but Elijah's frustration was the world around him wasn't changing and he was giving so much of himself to try to change it. Mm -hmm. I took that and I very much internalized it and said, I have struggles inside that I want to change. So yeah, I don't know. I guess I more than seeing myself in Elijah, I think you just, I personally feel, and people can whatever, feel their own way about it. I think the best preaching, teaching, whatever, is when the person has internalized it and found themselves in it. If you can't see yourself in it, who are you to get up and talk about it? Yeah. Um, and so the hardest messages for me are when I struggle to like relate to it or find myself in it. Um, and the easiest ones are the ones that I, I'm, I'm here, you know. So this one was an easier one. It came quicker, I guess, in that sense. And, and you told me at one point, um, just kind of in one of the back rooms or just in the hallways or something. The back rooms when we we, we play dice and gamble. <laughs> Is that what happens there? No. Um, but like, you know, after your message, I came up and I was just, you know, I mean, for lack of a better term, really proud and just thankful for you as a friend and just to know you and your vulnerability. And, and also I've always admired your relationship with Jesus and how sincere and earnest you are about it. Um, and, and and I felt like that was on full display yesterday. If you didn't see the message, you should watch it. Absolutely go back and watch it. But you, you mentioned, and cause I told you, I was like, man, I'm so glad you opened up and got really vulnerable. And you told me you're like, all the personal stuff wasn't even in my notes. It wasn't. No. So what compelled you in the moment to start opening up and sharing um, and, and kind of being transparent in that way? Uh, it, it wasn't directly in the moment. It was probably more the night before laying in bed, thinking about it. Um, mm -hmm. I guess, you know, it's funny because we all have things. When we talk, when you think about a basic idea, like being afraid to open up, like just say like, just start there being, being afraid to open up. Yeah. The reason that people might be afraid to open up is not always the same. So like two people can be afraid to open up for very different reasons. And here's the truth. And I, I, this is weird. It's, it's, it's part of my weirdness. I know I actually am not somebody who has like a fear that you might not like me if I open up. And I know that some people really deal with that. And I'm not sure. saying I'm better. Or I'm just saying like, it's not something I really deal with. Okay. Being transparent about who I am is just like, whatever. I actually think there's even, there's even a little bit sometimes of a problem with that. The reason why I don't really care is because I'm not as relational of a human being. Um, and I don't make the super, I'm even starting to see that in one of my children and my wife and I are trying to figure out how to work through it because yeah. we're realizing that one of our children kind of doesn't care that much about people and can turn friendships off very quickly. Um, and started, and, and when I say don't care about people, I mean, in the sense of like the emotional ties that highly relational people carry, like I don't have as strong. And so I don't spend a lot of time thinking or worrying about what people think about me. Um, and you can say that and it almost sounds like you're bragging. I, I just mean like, I, I know what you mean. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit detached and I actually wish I wasn't. So I wish I cared more about like what other people thought about me because it'd probably make me um, more relational of a person. What I really, really struggle with more than anything, <laughs> I loathe praise and pity. <laughs> I loathe them both. Explain that. 
uh, just sitting here hearing you say, oh, I'm so proud of you. I just like want to crawl out of my skin. And be like, oh, oh. Um, <laughs> on the flip side. Oh, I'm so sorry, Pete. Oh, that must be so hard. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. Get away from me. No, You're I don't. not that unrelational. You're great. You know, oh, stop it. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> um, or when people want to like make me feel better. Yeah. So I hate, I, I really, really hate opening up if I feel like it's going to lead to someone coming and like, you know, there's probably people listening to this. They're like, oh, no. Like putting their hand on my shoulder and being like, come on, Pete, you're a good pastor. Don't say that about yourself. And it's like, I don't, I'm not opening up to you to get like some kind of like pity or sympathy. I'm just sharing my journey with you. Yeah. And so what is a, the kind of response that I, I guess, like the most, if that's a way to say it, when people say like, Hey, thanks for sharing that, that, uh, that spoke to me or something. I'm like, cool. Thank you. I appreciate it. You know, yeah. but when someone needs to like pity or like, Oh, I'm so sorry. Or, you know, like it's, so I'm saying all that because in my head, when I was writing this message and I was thinking about, and you had said like, you know, why don't you get personal with it? It wasn't like, I'm afraid to get personal. It was, if I get up and talk about some of my struggles with being a pastor, mm -hmm. I'm going to pray, do the benediction, walk off the stage and have a line of people coming out to me like, come on, you're not that bad. We love you. <laughs> it's like, that's not why I'm doing this, please. Um, so uh, I was like, I didn't, that was the fear, the awkwardness and the weirdness. Like, and, and I had to like work through that uh, and be like, I just, I feel like God's calling me to share this. So I just need to do it. Um, so. Well, and I'm glad you did because I think that people, and, and you made a statement in the middle of your message and you kind of said, if you feel this way, you're not alone, you know? And, and I think I told you even later on that day, I was like, you know, I, I think you need to hear that you're not alone in that too. But mm. I mean, I think that it was powerful in the sense that it just, your vulnerability helped people say, you know what? Me too. Like I can relate with that. Mm. Like help, help me on this journey to the way that you found hope and how, Elijah and the story in in First Kings shows us that there's hope in the faithfulness of God and how God can, um, you know, just show up and and be sufficient in the middle of our weakness and things like that too. And so, yeah. you know, why don't you kind of, if you're open to it, um, dive a little deeper. What is this journey with depression? You kind of alluded to it. You shared pretty, I would say, explicitly about it as well on Sunday yesterday, but. Um, but when did it first show up and how does it show up for you? And what does a journey look like for you along your life as you've kind of had this be a part of your life for a lot you've shared with me since yeah. you're a kid? Uh, yeah, I, I don't mind talking about that stuff at all. Okay. I, you know, being married to somebody uh, it's here's, here's, here's a weird irony. Um, the two people, like I would say right now that I'm closest to in my life are mm -hmm. both Enneagram seven ishes that don't ever get sad about anything. My wife and you. Yep. Um, so, well, are you is Ben? Are you an Enneagram seven, Ben? Um, he claims to be. I like my <laughs> wife doesn't understand these things. And the other thing, I also don't. My dad doesn't either. I think. Okay. I, I don't know. My dad's never done the Enneagram, but I think he'd probably be a seven too. Um, I do think there's something, and I don't. I'm. You know. I don't. I don't know all the answers. I. I. I feel like there's something to be said about just the makeup of a human being sure. and their differences. And there's um, there's a lot of different personality tests, and one of them does like the colors or the the melancholy and the sanguine. All those. Um, I definitely fall in what is considered the the melancholic, the the blue color, whatever. 
Um, and when you meet other people who are like me, it's like, oh, there's a shared experience. Like a couple of things I would say, number one, I am naturally pessimistic. And so for me, it's not a journey to become optimistic. It's just a journey for me to come neutral, right? Okay. So it's a, it's a battle to at least be okay with the potential for good things to happen and not just assume the worst is going to happen. Um, but naturally, True. the natural inclination is the worst will happen mm-hmm. and good things aren't going to happen to me or anyone. It's everything. It's, I'll, the sky is falling. Yeah, the sky is falling, but also I'm, I'm a critic and so I look at things and I f- f- see all the problems with it. Yeah. And there are times and places that that's a gift. It's helpful. And for then there are massive yeah. parts of my life that I wish I could just tear it out of my brain. Um, can I just watch a movie and enjoy it rather than pick <laughs> it apart? You know? Yeah. Um, so even as a kid, I think there was always this part of me that was a little bit like, mm, you know, things aren't going to work. I'm an introvert. So I spend a lot of time alone. And I also, I live a lot of my life in my head. So I'm thinking a lot, like I'm always thinking. And the more I'm thinking, the more I'm alone, and the more I'm naturally a pessimist, it's like you've just Creating mixed a cocktail yeah. to like create problems. Yeah. The other thing is I found, I didn't quite understand it, but I grew to understand it more. And this is, this is something that, it's like explaining a color to someone that can't see color, but sometimes depression or sadness is like almost like a comfortable blanket that I can like a, a sleeping bag I can crawl into. Um, I remember there's a song that came out like a decade ago uh, and there was a line in it where he's singing to his ex-girlfriend and he says, you've become addicted to a certain kind of sadness. Sure. Um, what song was that? I don't know. Oh, oh, didn't have to cut me off. What happened oh. to this? I used to know. That was, yeah. Okay. What happened to the, I don't know, whatever. You didn't know um, this was going to be musical, yeah. but not, not it. Like, okay. But that, that line, I resonate with it to be addicted to a certain, there's something comforting, unhealthy, in an unhealthy way, there's something comforting about sadness. You can just sort of sink into it and and accept it. Um, like I think a, a metaphor or a picture would be the way that someone you know, struggling, someone falling overboard on a, on a ship out in the ocean, struggling to stay afloat, it almost just feels better to just let it go and sink, you know? Mm-hmm. And depression has that thing. It just, there are these moments where it's like, it, it would just feel better. It'd just be, it'd just be easier and calmer to just settle into the sadness, embrace it, you know? Is it exhaustion or is it control that like as a driving force behind that or something different? I don't, I don't know if I would use either of those words necessarily. Okay. Con- I don't, I don't think of it as control. I think of it as like to just sit in sadness, to sit in an idea or a thought about, death or loss or um Mm. to read a book or watch a movie that maybe is more shakespearean in the sense that it's leading to tragedy or not always the white knight saves the day there's something comforting in that in a really weird way okay that isn't ultimately healthy and that's that's where i'm getting at but as a kid and growing up I, i didn't quite understand that sometimes i liked to just like leave me alone like let me let me let me just mope you know i'm comfortable in it uh it took probably seeing it in other people 
to realize how much of a problem it was <laughs> when I would see other people do it. I'd be like, what are you? Oh crap. I do that. <laughs> um, but also to just come to the place of saying, this isn't, this isn't how I want to live my life. Um, and, and I, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I remember probably the, the, the times of my life that I would say like, this is where it really crystallized would be later on in high school. I, I remember just being very lonely and sad and, and sitting by myself in my room. And, um, fortunately emo music hadn't come out yet. That might have, that might have that, put that, me over the edge. Yeah. That would have, uh, uh, it came out later and I, an oh, entire I bought into it, man. For it so. I bought into it. Uh, so yeah, I think recognizing that and then not really knowing what to do with it, um, was, I don't know. And, and I started to, uh, you know, I moved to another state and I was talking to somebody yesterday. I was in the Midwest, Illinois, and I moved to Colorado Springs. Mm. Two things happened to me when I moved to Colorado Springs. One of them was I went from one of the dreariest places in America to one of the sunniest. And I noticed a change happened almost overnight just from your environment my env just the sun wow um, okay and suddenly i was recognizing like oh there was something wrong with me i also developed a really good friendship with somebody that actually has been on this we've talked christopher my friend that came oh, and yes. spoke um and he was somebody that really was like dude you got some issues and i'm like what issues and for a couple of years uh and christopher would always his his line for me was uh, fix your face he'd say pete fix your face and it was his way of saying like you're starting to Thank you, you're Christopher. Letting, I'll be using that. <laughs> you're letting that moody yeah, stuff because it. it's a in my head. And again, this ties back to the relational piece. Because I'm sort of a detached person, my brain doesn't immediately think to itself, Pete, consider how you're coming across to everybody right now. My brain is just oftentimes I get that. It's like I'll be in a room okay. and like there'll be people and I'll hear later like oh we thought you were angry at us and you were you were moping and I was like I honestly I was sitting there thinking um where do the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles get all their money for this pizza? Because they don't work. They don't have jobs. They have expensive Japanese weapons. Where do they, where do they get the money? <laughs> that was where your brain was, and, huh? And, and, the, and everyone thinks I'm angry. You know, it's like, but I'm just detached. And so when I do sometimes get grumpy or sad internally and I want to just sort of remove, I'm not thinking about the way I'm affecting other people. Yeah. And I bring all that in because to step into a career field which the primary responsibility of the career field is to think and care about other people be relational yeah it's just been okay it's been a long 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 15 years <laughs> and you shared about that yesterday yeah. and you came to the conclusion and said this is what god has told me hmm. he said my grace is sufficient in your weakness and my, my strength is perfecting your weakness rather my grace is sufficient for you but uh you know so how did you discover that answer and and what is it meant for you like was there some monument moments mm -hmm. in your life where you're like you were maybe sinking into those those places and god spoke to you or he showed up in a certain way or there was just a revelation of truth from his word i don't what was it and how did it look and then how has it been a part of your life ever since Excuse me. I think that there's there's maybe 
the answer or the solution, whatever that I, that I mm-hmm. ultimately shared yeah. in the message yesterday, was not something that I just recently discovered. Yes, I think it, I would say it this way: it was something that was already helping me. I just hadn't crystallized my understanding of why it was helping me. Yeah. So all throughout my twenties, when I was really serving the Lord, I, you know, I was single. I was living in this small town. Uh, you know, doing painting houses, not something I really wanted to do. And there were a lot of reasons to feel, I remember writing a song on my, on my, on my 23rd birthday, I wrote a song and um, I remember just sitting on my bed writing it. And it was like, um, I, I don't know. I, I remember thinking to myself, this idea of like, you know, this sounds random, but, um, the general kind of rough belief that Jesus probably died around 33-ish, somewhere in there, um, and kind of working backwards. And like, I remember just being like, Jesus, what was it like to be 23? And I just wrote, oh. like, did you ever, I said, when you were 23, did you ever just wake up and wonder what you were doing with your life? Because his ministry hadn't started yet. Did you, um, I don't know, did you ever feel like you're facing mediocrity and and the fear of it just gripped you or feel like I'm not doing enough, I'm not far enough? And those kind of thoughts were really just, and so music was a big part of it. I'd write a lot of music. Um, writing songs was a way to, was therapeutic. But really, more than anything, because of what I was doing, um, I was constantly putting myself in these positions of, of worship, of retreat weekends and prayer ministries and things. Those things were helping me stabilize in ways that I didn't even understand. Wow. Um, and it wasn't until... When I got married, and uh, my wife and I got married in 2008, and we moved to Kansas, and I took a job as a youth pastor, and I would say those four years, and I, I was a youth pastor the whole four years, I did it for a couple of years, and then I moved in a different role, but that's when it really started to crystallize for me, because when I got married and had kids, um, there was this part of my life that was so, um, almost like a the way that your life changes even time-wise, the ability to just get some friends together and have a prayer meeting at one in the morning on a Saturday night is gone, you know? And mm. um, you're now, you have a job. Thing. Like, that was kind of my 20s. It was very just flexible. I, and and then it was like, I was suddenly realizing that a lot of my discipline had gone. I, when I had been a part-time worship leader doing other things, now I'm full-time, I'm in ministry, starting at you know, 28, 29 years old. And I was going months without even opening my Bible if I wasn't wow. preaching, you know what I mean? Or yeah. the only time I opened it is to preach. And I quickly lost a lot of the things that were keeping me sane in my 20s and I didn't realize it. And so I just started tanking. And I worked for um, a pastor who's a great guy, um, but, you know, come back to Enneagram. He, he, was, he was an Enneagram 8 and he was forceful and like, his way of dealing with me was um, red-faced yelling. Uh, and it was like, I really struggled, like really struggled. Um, I mean, there were times in Kansas when I just was like, you know, I mean, to, like like I said, like Elijah laying on a cave floor, let me die. <laughs> let this die. Let this die, God. And yeah. he kept saying, no, get up, get up. And um through that process, through that experience, it was like I kept finding that um, 
my ability to do the job well was always linked to whether or not I would be consistent in my time with the Lord. Yeah. And I did come to a point though where it was like a place of health and having my head above water of saying, you know, I do believe that God's called me in ministry. I do believe I can find success if I stay committed to him. And that verse is a big part of it, strength and weakness. Um, but I'm not called to be a youth pastor. So there must be some other form of ministry that maybe is a better fit for my personality type. And so that's even part of it is like, there's a balance between saying God is my strength and my weakness and saying, you're not at all wired for this. Yeah. <laughs> there might be other things in ministry you're wired in that. for. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that was the last decade has been more about that. I think. So you kind of found a lot of solace as well as almost, you know, a sanctuary in God's presence, right? Like, and, yeah. and just hearing from God and spending time with God, by the way, it's not um, unique to just a single personality. Um, our ability to be effective as human beings and as Christians is directly tied to our relationship with Jesus and our time with him. Right. What do you do though, with the times that God, um, at least God's presence is not as tangible. Like I, I wrote down a couple of scriptures of like, even where we see this in scripture, I've experienced in my life where I'm kind of like, you know, I'll be crying out to God and be like, it feels like you're quiet. Like you're not really, like, I, I don't, there's moments where I'm like his, his presence feels so thick. And there's other moments where maybe it's not as tangible. Like in Psalm 42, three, um, David says this, he goes, my tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? And then, and then in Job 23, three, um, you know, he said, I, Oh, that I knew where I might find him. Like he was looking for God. He was like looking for the presence of God. He was, he felt far away. And so you see that, oh, you know, David, my God, my God, why are you forsaken me? Those kind of things too. So it's like, you know, there seems to be moments where God's presence isn't as tangible, meaning like it's not a palpable, maybe you can't hear his voice as clearly, you know, and things like that, whether that is because of our own blocks um, or things happening in our own hearts and lives and minds, or whether that's something that God is choosing. What do you do with moments like that? If that is the place where you find all hope and healing, what do you do when you're like, where is he? You know, it seems so distant. Have you ever uh, experienced moments like that? So this is, this is a really hard question that I want to take some time on because <laughs> I don't want to give a trite simplistic answer. Okay. Um, let me, let me start by breaking it down a little bit. Yeah. Be careful on two fronts. Number one, and I'm not, I know you're throwing examples at me. It's sure. fine. In the old Testament, people didn't have the Holy spirit. Yeah. yeah. Um, so to have access to the presence of the Lord meant traveling to Jerusalem to a temple. Sure. So I didn't even in the first service I didn't say I quoted you know the psalmist that said, "When can I return to the courts of the Lord?" I'm like a deer pants for streams of water. My soul. He was somebody that couldn't get back to God's presence. I get it. Yeah. Uh, I could have God's presence all the time, anytime, because I am the temple of the Lord. <laughs> Secondly, um, both of those situations that you just quoted, specifically David, the cry "Where is your God?" is not a relational one; it's a circumstantial one. Because of his, yeah, his Where, situation. Look at how bad your life is. Where's yeah. your God, David? Um, everything I said yesterday was, that's not how I measure it's where not God on is. Circumstances. Okay. Um, it's the opposite. So even for Job, and I'm preaching on Job this uh -huh. Sunday. Yes, you uh, are. Job, um, to say where is God is not a relational question. It's about a circumstance. It's a justice question. It's a, how oh, could you let fairness. this happen? Yeah. Fairness. Um, so 
theologically, and I guess you could start there, um, I would say that any feeling or sense that God is not present is less a reality and more a perspective that you currently have. Um, God doesn't leave you. He told us that in his word. Um, he lives inside of me, so yeah. I don't know where he's going. I'm taking him with me everywhere I go. Anything that I feel in my heart or my mind separate or distant from God in my own life, okay, I'll just start there, in yeah. my own life, whatever, has always had a direct link to the amount of time that I've spent with him. And I was talking to someone in the hallway about it yesterday, and I used this example. I said, when you, uh, a few couple of years ago, I hiked up Cowles Mountain, mm -hmm. and I flew up it, like, flew up it. I was up, like, so fast, and I basically ran down it. You've heard it here first, Pete can fly. Um, so. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Metaphorically, <laughs> if you took me to the base of Cowles Mountain right now and said, Pete, go up this mountain, I would get a third of the way and crash and die. I and believe just be that like, you could get all the way to the top. So, but you okay, here's the difference. Okay. The last time I climbed it, it was, I think, in 2019 or so. And I remember that because my wife and I were having, we're, we're heading to Hawaii for our, our a trip. And I had just spent like six months going to the gym five times a week doing a steady diet. Absolutely. I was literally, I was probably, what was I, 40 years old? And I was probably the best shape I had been since my early 20s. I got in that mountain, flew up it. If right now I went up that mountain and I got a third of the way through and I'm like, I can't do this. Why, God? Why won't you let this happen? I It would be illogical for me good. to have any, I, I would, yeah. My brain would say, Pete, you haven't done more exercise than walk up the steps in the last six months. Why are you expecting you can just go up this mountain right now? And oftentimes when we're like, where are you, God? It's like, you haven't opened your Bible in three months and now you're complaining that God has abandoned you? Hmm. Um, so I ended my message with the word discipline. Like, yes, I already that is the hardest, most difficult thing in my life because I'm not a disciplined person. And my struggle more than saying I struggle with depression is I struggle with discipline because the way to deal with my depression is to be disciplined in my walk with God. And I haven't been disciplined in my walk with God. I do not have a history of being highly disciplined. I have a history of flaring up, doing it a lot for two months and then not doing it for six months. And then, which is sure. the same way with my exercise. I have a history of not being disciplined with how I eat and how I exercise. I have seasons where I get in shape and then I get horrible. Like that's my problem. If I can stay disciplined, and so for where all of this came to head was about, I don't know, what, about six months ago in February of this year, I really hit rock bottom mm -hmm. in some of this stuff. And it was like, I, I came here on a Saturday night. I was preaching the next day. I didn't want to preach because I was like, I don't feel anything. I don't want to mess, whatever. And this is where a lot of this stuff just like hit me, like that verse. And then I I went back into my office and I I printed off a piece of paper a picture like a just a jpeg i found on google <laughs> images of the psalm that just said like i'll meditate on your word day and night and be like a stream or a tree planted by streams of water and i just said god help me be disciplined and yeah, i would just say this like you're talking to someone now who it's not like oh i've learned the secret to the only difference between pete in what is it november and pete in early february of this year is for the last six months, I've been way more disciplined. I, I've been way more committed. 
Um, yeah. I, I've, you know, I still miss a day or two, but like for the last six months, it's been very consistent. And then just like working out when I'm ready, when I need to go up the mountain, my muscles work. And now when this approaching my birthday, where in the past it was always this season of like, oh, here comes sadness. Tank, yeah. Um, Christmas crap, here it comes. Um, there's like this well I'm pulling from. It's good. Because of the discipline that was leading up to it. And if I stop, if I, you know, don't open my Bible and journal again for the next six months, I guarantee you I'm gonna be in a rough place again. Uh, it's just it's just it's good. That's what it means for God to be my strength and my weaknesses. I'm disciplined in, in staying connected to the vine on a regular basis, and he's my strength. And you so. talked about you talked about the idea of spiritual disciplines, and disciplines are something that you do even when you don't feel it, right? Yeah. Even when you're not that, that's not tangible mm-hmm. and palpable. Um, you know, when it feels like you're trying to climb up Cal's Mountain and you're only getting a third way there, and then you can't breathe anymore, right? Like it, discipline says, I'm going to come back the next day and do it again, and keep going and keep going. And and the root uh, and motivation of why we stay disciplined is how much we believe and trust in the promise. Um, that is at the end of our discipline. And so if we believe that if we keep on working on climbing up Cow's Mountain every day, even if it feels like we only got 10 feet up the mountain today, you know, if we believe that if we keep at it and keep conditioning our bodies and our lungs and our legs, that eventually we will get to the top and we'll be like Pete and we'll learn how to fly. We'll be able to fly right up to the top of the mountain in the same way. If we believe in the promises of God, that that God says that He'll never leave us nor forsake us, that He'll He'll stick with us, that He'll be um, our strength that is perfect in the moments of our weakness, that He's His grace is sufficient for us. If we believe all those promises, then it'll motivate us to stay disciplined, even when we aren't necessarily experiencing in a tangible or an immediate way the fruition of those promises. It'll keep us saying, you know what? I trust your way. I'm going to keep going um, on the path that you call me to. And it'll keep us disciplined in that same way as well. So, but powerful, like staying disciplined. What a great illustration for that as well. And the question of like, what do you do when you don't feel God? I guess I chose that Kyle's Mountain example because oftentimes in the Bible, like going up a mountain is going to meet God. And Mm -hmm. it's like, God is always there. The issue is whether I have the muscles to go. And, And I think... When you ask me if I what do I do when I don't experience God, um, I just it's like that's kind of my fallback is I'm just like I've never been like God where are you, <laughs> uh, and maybe again you know I, how I started this podcast like I'm the self critiquing pessimism who, pessimist who it's obviously my fault um, I've always been like if I'm not experiencing God I'm doing something wrong that's mm-hmm. a natural bent that I have yeah. Which I guess in some ways, in this particular instance, maybe it's better. <laughs> it is a place I should blame myself. Uh, other places I blame myself too much and, and that's not healthy. Um, but yeah, everything. The other side of this that is even more difficult for me to really, not just, not I don't say not hard to talk about, but like um, even engaging this, what I'm about to say is like, dangerous and problematic okay um i'm not talking about the old testament and i'm not even like i think that there is something about who god created pete goodman to be that if you're going to create categories okay let's just say you're going to if we're just going to use biblical categories i fit something closer to a prophet than a pastor 
And I think you look at a lot of the prophets, even in the Old Testament, they often were kind of pessimistic, like melancholy, melancholy. Yeah. A lot of times, because to be a prophet, you can't worry about what people think about you. Mm-hmm. Uh, a prophet that's worried what people think about them is a false prophet. Um, Cause you're just going to say what you think people want to hear. I think God wires some people differently in order to sometimes be the voice that says, you might not like me for saying this, but I'm going to say it because it's true. Yes. Um, the thing about prophets traditionally, and, and I actually, you know, I, I don't want to go crazy here, but I actually do think in some ways I have, I have moved in a gift of prophecy before of having words of knowledge and mm-hmm. things about the future and things. Um, I don't probably do it enough. Maybe I don't know, but I don't consider myself a prophet. I'm not saying that, but that bent, I guess. Um, some people say, like, you know, the office of the prophet in the church today is it more of the the truth speaker? It says fourth teller instead of foreteller. Yeah, yeah. maybe. Um, but yeah. the idea that a prophet, examples of prophets in the Bible, apart from the spiritual side of it, are often people that maybe aren't quite as lovey and relational and huggy. Um, what's hard about that though is number one, I know that I live on the other side of the new covenant. So I'm not looking at old Testament prophets, but even like, what do I do with that? You know, Mm -hmm. um, to say like, well, I think my gifting feels more like this than a traditional pastor. Yeah. But this doesn't, this isn't something people do in churches. Uh, what, what do you, what are you going to do with that? Um, and so to feel like that's sort of your bent, but you kind of have to constantly try to be this over here. Uh, like, I'm, I feel like I'm more like that truth speaker, that like whatever. Um, but to do my job, I have to be more of a shepherd. Um, has been a challenge. Um, sometimes it feels like I'm like that toy game where you have the round peg and you're trying to get it in the, the square. Like, get in there, you know. Uh, that's how it sometimes felt. Um, and it's been part of what I shared yesterday. And I and I see that struggle that you, yeah. that you've kind of wrestled with, but I've also been on the benefiting side of your voice of wisdom and your your call to repent or your call to respond or your call to hold fast. Like there's been many times where I think that you have been a voice of truth, and I sure hope that the church has a place for truth tellers and and hard truth tellers if need be that people are called to repent from the ways that they think is best and turn back to the way that god tells us is best and, yeah. and i hope that there is continuing to be pete goodman's or so here's here uh, maybe we can end with this yeah um here's the problem okay okay the problem isn't primarily with the church the problem is so many people who are if you're watching this, I just put up quotes like Pete Goodman, like me. Sure. Haven't learned, haven't allowed, I don't know what the word is. I don't want to be arrogant about it because I'm, I'm in process too. Good. To function well, the Holy Spirit has got to sand down the rough edges. There are a lot of truth speakers out there and they're arrogant a-holes and I wish they would shut up. <laughs> Because you can be a truth teller and you can speak truth and wisdom, but still be led by the Holy Spirit and the great command to love others. Yes. Um, the internet is full of truth tellers who don't feel like they have a place, so they jump on YouTube or Instagram and speak their truth, um, and they're just being jerks. And they're just hurting people. 
And I think the problem with people who are like me is because it's, it can be a bit of a vicious cycle. They can feel like they're not accepted and have a place, so then they go and get mean. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, I, my personality type is the most common personality type for comics. Um, people who don't feel like they have a voice, so they just find humor and make fun of people and get on stage and make fun of things. Really? Okay. Yeah, comics are prophets, man. They're, they're critiquing the world. That's what they do. Um, huh. Yeah. I've never had uh, that conclusion. There's but. so many Enneagram fives that are comics. Yeah. Um, because you, you're constantly seeing things, you're constantly critiquing things, you're finding weirdness in the world around you, and you're, then you're just expressing it. But if you don't do that in a healthy way, you're a cancer. And I have been a cancer. I, I have been the problem in many places because I see all the problems. I feel like I know what's true and I got to say it and I got to tell you this. And that's, I use the words that's dumb way too much. And I got, I'm trying to, the Holy Spirit's telling me, stop saying that's dumb. Say something more like, hey, let's think about whether that's a great thing or not. You know, don't say that's dumb. But my brain's like, that's stupid. You're dumb. That's, this is dumb. Why are we doing this? Um, because there's this like roughness of truth and direct and, and it's like it's all connected to what goes on inside of me and if i don't allow the holy spirit to to filter it and sand the edges down not only am i no good to anybody i'm bad to people I, i'm mm -hmm. i become a bad person i'm I, like people with my personality like I, <laughs> I was i was serious before like you can do those dumb like things on Facebook where it's like, which which movie character is your personality? Which Disney princess? Yeah, are you? I've done the. I am always like Voldemort, um, like like Lord Cruella Sauron. Yes, like my personality types become. Yeah. And if you if you do the enneagram, okay. not the enneagram, the Myers Briggs, like they even say, like your the the INTJ is the most common like villain in movies. Like, and it's like because we we can just get mean and angry and, mm. and like not think about people. So for God to be my strength and weakness isn't just get up off the floor. It's like, let me help sand these things down so you actually can be useful. And then when you're actually being useful and helpful, you're not frustrated and wanting to go lie down and die. <laughs> that's good, man. It's like, you know what I mean? And yeah. so that's that's the battle is, is like letting him change me enough that I, I'm being used well and, and feel like I'm being used well to not lead me into these depressed places of discouragement. I know you hate this, but no, here it goes. He, he is changing you. Okay. He is. I'll accept that. Yeah. He is. I he is. That. I'm seeing I it. And it's, it's, it's awesome to see your humility and your willingness to walk with Jesus and let Jesus use a way that he's made you um, to really benefit and edify your body. So anyway, which is your gift anyway. So, is what so, encouraging and edifying oh, encouraging, okay. just flows out of you. <laughs> well, there we go. Well, let's 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 go ahead and flow into next week. You're going to be talking about Jonah, another meltdown. Job, Job, Job. Oh, we're talking similar. about Jonah. Jonah and Job are I'm very sorry. similar books. Yeah, I might even point that out next week. <laughs> That's hilarious. I yeah. said Job. Both of them wrestle with the question of God's justice. And it came out as yes, yeah. fairness. So, so make sure that you tune in for that. But this has been a great episode of digging deeper. We'll see you next time. Thanks, guys.